This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame, so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. Today, we are interviewing a midwife, and not just any midwife, the midwife behind a home birth story of doing it at home. So if you remember back in episode 142, we spoke with Brooke Nielsen about her home birth transfer to hospital birth and eventually a C-birth. Well, that episode was really powerful and struck a chord with a lot of people just because of the realness that Brooke brought to the conversation and sharing her, her whole story. Well, now we get to talk to the midwife behind it and not only her part and experience of the birth, but her expertise and knowledge and amazing midwife brain (laughs) that we talk on so many things from breech birth and conversations and misconceptions around that to midwifery care in the States and how that has evolved over the years, how midwives are perceived. We talk about licensure changes and laws that vary among state to state. And get this, Paula herself has five daughters, three of whom were born at home. One of them is currently pregnant, planning a home birth with Paula as the midwife, and this same daughter is studying herself to become a midwife under Paula's tutelage. How awesome is that? So we get into all of that, and I know this is an episode you're going to love because we love us some midwives, and we need to hear from more of them because they are true treasures in the birth world with so much information and love to share. Before we get into that, I have a quick question for you. Do you love your vagina? Do you love your yoni? Do you believe that your vulva needs to be taken care of? If you said yes to any of those questions, then you need to go to thebloomy.com right now. The Bloomy brought this episode to you today and made it possible. And I'm so glad because we need companies like this out there who are all about supporting, empowering, educating women on taking care of their bodies and really owning 
that and enjoying a healthy sexual life. So that's what the Bloomy is all about, offering trusted products, toxic-free, organic for intimate hygiene and care from things like menstrual cups to reusable pads, organic tampons, uh, organic oil-based lubricants, toys, books, all kinds of fun stuff for you to love on that intimate part of yourself. Um, especially in pregnancy and in motherhood and postpartum, it's really important to take care of all of you, especially this part of you that gave life. It's, uh, it needs attention. So that's what the Bloomy is all about. When you go to thebloomy.com, first of all, check out everything they have going on there and sign up for their newsletter. Because when you do, you get sex health articles, updates about what's going on with them and a sweet 25% off code for your order. So go do that. All products around menstrual care, sexual education, empowerment, vulva hygiene, thebloomy.com or on Instagram at thebloomy. Again, sign up for that news letter and get that 25% off and start loving on your yoni today. All right. So back into it with Paula's interview. Here it is. Enjoy. Paula, welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How are you? I'm doing beautiful this morning. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Sarah and I are so grateful that you're here hanging out with us. We're excited to learn from you and just soak up all your wisdom. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to um, be on the show with you. Yeah. So Paula, kick us off by just telling us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're located. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm Paula Schneebelt, licensed midwife, and I do um, home birth uh, in the uh, greater North Bay, which is north of San Francisco. I'm actually located in uh, Napa County, which is, uh, of course, wine country and um, cover a four-county area uh, in the North Bay. Awesome. And we have a connection, a mutual connection through Doing It at Home of a Doing It at Home mama, uh, Brooke Nielsen, who we published her part one back in episode 111. And her part two, I'm not sure what episode number it is yet because we haven't published it, but we are going to publish it right before this one. So if you just listen to that one, then um, you'll get yeah. to hear about the midwife behind the story, which is neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and such an honor to have got to share her um, birthing experience with her. She and her husband are both delightful um, people, and uh, uh, they had just an amazing journey. Mm, awesome. Yep, and you can listen to that journey in the previous episode in part two of her story. Um, Paula, you have been a midwife for a number of years, and you yourself also have five daughters, three of whom were born at home. <laughs> Is that correct? That is correct. Wow. I feel like there's so much to learn from you. There's This could be multiple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, without a doubt, it is um, uh, quite an interesting journey to be mothering five daughters. I, I never expected that would be my life, and it's so lovely, and I am looking forward to hopefully uh, some son-in-laws and grandsons. In fact, I'm, uh, my oldest daughter is um, married and expecting my first grandchild, which we're expecting a boy. She's planning to have um, her baby at home with me being her midwife and wow. uh, That's do cool. the uh, end of July, 1st of August. So uh, so we're going to be checking back in. And if your daughter yeah. is open to it, how cool would that be to talk to a mom and daughter 
you know, mama and midwife pair. That would be so cool. Yes. And she is also, uh, she has just enrolled in uh, midwifery school and is uh, studying under me to become a midwife herself. So, in the water. Yeah, <laughs> or it's in the wine, yeah. maybe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, Paula, talk to us a little yeah. bit about how you got into birth work and how you, you know, your journey to becoming a midwife. That is such an interesting uh, story. Um, so, I used to work in the corporate world and I was, um, I, I, I say this kind of tongue in cheek, uh, once upon a time, a world expert in medical waste disposal and infectious disease transmission. And then I married and was having babies and I hired a midwife to help me have one of my babies at home. And she said, you should become a midwife and serve the women in your community. And I just laughed so hard. I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. It just did not sound appealing to me at all to get a call at 3 a.m. and get out of my nice, warm, comfortable bed and go to a stranger's house. That was kind of like how I saw it, Um, but it was like she lit an ember and it just burned hotter and hotter until I couldn't ignore it any longer. And so I asked her if she would um, help facilitate my training and, uh, and, you know, here I am a little over 20 years later, almost 1500 babies that I've helped into this world. And uh, I myself now train midwives and have uh, successfully trained somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 students. Wow. And how, I mean, in a broad sense, because I'm sure it would be difficult to distill it into a few words, but how have you seen the practice change over the years since you made that transition into birth work and as a midwife? Because I'm sure being a midwife when you first started out and being a midwife now, or maybe I'm wrong, but I would imagine it looks a little bit different. It is so different. (laughs) And that is such a great question. Um, And something that I have, you know, begin to speak with my students about. So, when I uh, began my training, um, uh, midwives in the state of California had just become legal. A law had been passed uh, uh, um, uh, recognizing uh, midwifery as a um, professional option in the state of California. And uh, so, again, we uh, became recognized by the California Medical Board, the uh, same board that licensed physicians and acupuncturists and chiropractors. And initially, there were a number of midwives who was, uh, were, were very uh, wary of this new law. They were concerned that it was going to be used as a way to you know, catch them, um, as it were. And in fact, prior to that, there you know, had been some midwives who had been actually jailed for practicing midwifery without, or practicing medicine without a license. So um, everyone was glad to see the licensure law come into effect, but there, like I said, were, were definitely some um, uh, members of the, the midwifery community that were re- very wary of it. Um, at any rate, I did make the decision to get my license, and so I completed um, the steps I needed uh, to do to get my license. I'm uh, the first licensed midwife in Napa, California, and I'm license number 198, and there are quite a few hundred more now. Um, and so at that time, um, we had not had good access to uh, medications or oxygen or some of the other uh, tools that can be helpful in keeping mom and baby safe. Um, we had to kind of uh, acquire those through the underground, as it were. 
And since then, things have really evolved. Um, we are very much um, recognized now in the state of California, and we have easy access to getting uh, medications and oxygen and anything else that we need. And uh, we have come from, uh, at that time, um, receiving sometimes a lot of flack, a lot of animosity when we had to transport our moms or babies to the hospital. And that has really shifted. Now, if I need to do a transfer to a hospital, I'm actually met and greeted as a colleague. And um, my uh, my experience and, and training are, are um, valued and uh, um, respected. In fact, um, maybe it's been six months ago, I was actually covering for a doula who had a a couple that were having their first baby, planning to have their first baby in the hospital. This was at a Kaiser hospital here in California. And the doula was a good friend of mine. She needed to be out of town and ask if I would be on call for them. And sure enough, baby decided to come while she was gone and I was on call. So as planned, I went with them to the hospital with the intent to be their doula. And I think maybe in a moment we'll come back to the difference between a midwife and a doula and what a doula is and what a midwife is. But at any rate, the doctor who was on call when he uh, realized that I was a midwife, a home birth midwife, he said, you know, I'm here, I'm in the room if I'm needed. Could I watch you do what you do? And I kind of laughed and I said, well, I don't really do very much. And he said, that's okay, I have to watch you do what you don't do. And um, so, you know, I just proceeded to, to you know, um, support and encourage the mother in, in birthing her baby. And as the baby's about to be born, I called the dad over to catch the baby. And, um, you know, afterwards, the doctor thanked me and shared that he and his wife were expecting and wanted my information so that they could be in touch. So, um big change, you know, in terms of where we are now and where we once were. And I think um, there's a recognition that we need to um, look at what the midwives are doing because statistically our outcomes are so much better than the hospitals. And um, as a nation, you know, here we are, we're, we're wealthy, we're educated, we have all this great technology, and yet there are more than 50 other countries where it is safer to have your baby. Um, moms and, and babies have better outcomes in Cuba. It's safer to go to Cuba and have your baby than to have your baby in the U.S. And when you look at um, what the differences are, what you find is that these other countries use midwifery care as their um, first uh, line of care for healthy moms and babies, and doctors and hospitals take over if there is uh, a complication. So, um, kind of interesting to know that. That's yeah. all of that is amazing. I mean, just yes, to share all of that. I wonder what do you think contributed to that recognition? happening over time? I mean, I'm sure time is one of the bigger factors, but what else, you know, do you think it's the climate of California and that space that you, you know, maybe versus other parts of the country or world, but, you know, some things came together to create the space now where you are received as a colleague and are given the respect and attention that's very well deserved. Mm-hmm. Well, I think certainly, you know, with getting licensure in California and having us recognized by the medical board, that that was huge. 
And um, uh, initially, we were required to practice under the supervision of a physician, but that actually was lifted a few years ago. Um, so we're, um, you know, recognized as practicing autonomously. Um, I think we we also, um, as part of the licensure, uh, were required to um, provide our statistics each year, and. I think as there has been awareness of what our statistics are, how good they are, um, I think that has made a difference. Um, the internet, I think, has been huge. Uh, when I hired my first midwife, you know, to have my baby those years ago, I used a phone book. You know, may, maybe some people had computers, but they, you know, if you needed uh, a mechanic, you opened the phone book. You uh, you know, wanted to, you know, call a department store, you open the, the phone book, um, you were looking for a midwife, you open the phone book. And we don't do that now. You know, everything, pretty much everybody has their smartphone. And I think most people, you know, just do a Google search and find whatever they're looking for. And I think that has really um, made information so easy to access. And that equals education. And I think as people become better educated, you know, yes, you have choices. Um, and they learn about what those choices are. And, you know, maybe, maybe they have, you know, an experience at the hospital or, or know someone who did that was less than satisfying. They learned that statistically home birth is a safe option. It just opens, you know, this whole world of knowledge and information that I think has really, um, aided us. I agree. And to that credibility piece and the education, you get to see more of what a midwife actually is, what they do, uh, how equipped and educated they are, the experience, and all of that comes into, into play there. What are some of the mm -hmm. common misconceptions that you find um, even still? I think um, there's a fear that what if something happens? I want to be in the hospital and have quick, easy access to surgery in case there's an emergency. And I think there's um, um, just a, a lack of awareness that I have that covered. I have the same medicine for postpartum hemorrhage that they have in the hospital. I can sew moms up if they tear. My license uh, allows me to fully take care of the healthy newborn for the first six weeks possibly even longer, but I, I uh, specialize in pregnancy and childbirth and the immediate postpartum. So I you know, typically take care of the babies until they're six weeks old. So uh, they don't need a pediatrician because they have me and I provide that care. Um, you know, I'm, uh, when a newborn's born, I'm listening to the heart and lungs. I'm checking the reflexes. I'm weighing and measuring the baby. And I'm checking them out very thoroughly from head to toe, uh, checking the reflexes, assessing the APGARs, all of that. Um, I have the same training for newborn resuscitation that they have in the hospital. Uh, we all have to recertify every two years, uh, people in the hospital as well as those who do home birth. And um, so we're, we're, we're very prepared to, you know, handle an emergency. And that being said, emergencies are really rare and things don't usually just pop up without warning. Usually there are signs that things are not moving in a healthy fashion. So rather than wait until it's an emergency, we 
transfer to the hospital. So if I see that something's not looking okay and I do the things that I can do to try to correct it and it's still not resolving, then I err on the side of caution and I say, you know, okay, I think we need to go to the hospital now. And I call the hospital to let them know that we're coming and what's going on so they're ready for us when we get there. And um, so just don't really see, you know, emergencies. And again, you have this postpartum hemorrhage. I have the medicine that I need and, and the training that I need to properly address that so that it's not an issue. Um, I also have a birth team. I don't go to a birth by myself. So uh, typically there are three, sometimes four of us. There's myself. It never happens, but if a mom had a postpartum hemorrhage, and the baby wasn't breathing. I'm concentrating on the mom. I've got someone on my team that I'm, um, you know, confident can uh, properly take care of the newborn. And then we have a third person who's handing us things or charting or making a phone call if we need that. Um, and occasionally a fourth person, like I said, especially if they're toddlers, it's nice to have a fourth person to, you know, feed them, read to them, play with them, entertain them, and, you know, keep them cared for so that mom and dad can focus on their birth. Mm. Yeah, I remember our midwives when they explained, you know, the main midwife and there would be apprentices. And the reason for that was that so that someone could be covering mom completely and someone could be covering baby completely, you know, at any Mm -hmm. stages, you know, during labor, during birth and immediate postpartum, you know, someone, everyone was covered. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I appreciate the way that you described how how equipped midwives are, how equipped you are, how educated and, you know, all of that. Because I know as, as a dad, when I was, when Sarah and I were preparing, I had those fears, those, those you know, what you described, like what's going to happen, what could happen and mm-hmm. what are, mm-hmm. you know, I would rather be in a hospital if there is some sort of emergency. And what I didn't understand is that at the time, uh, like you said, midwives are so tuned in that they're able to see things well before they get to a state of emergency. And that was something that I, I really did not realize until starting to starting this podcast, quite frankly, and hearing the stories and talking to other midwives that, you know, you are so attuned to the mom and to the baby. And, you know, you, you're also so experienced, you know what you're doing, so that if mm-hmm. anything does come up, you know, you're you're looking at it well before it becomes something where it's time to, you know, go into panic mode. And you don't even ever really get to that place, like what you said. So for those listening right now Mm -hmm. who are in the planning stage, you know, that's something that I did not understand when Sarah and I were planning that now I'm I'm much more aware. Midwives know what they're doing. You know, you you all are so, so great at what you do. and, And you've got it all covered and handled. And um, that's, I'm, I'm so happy that I now have this greater understanding and awareness because now in my day-to-day life, I talk to people about that and I, and I share that with people. So I just wanted to, you know, reiterate that point because it is so important. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Thank you, Matthew. Very, very well said. 
And, you know, so that is, you know, I, I don't like generalizations because there are so many um, variations of um, people and relationships in, in our world. But um, just for the sake of the conversation, you know, uh, that, that the man, the father, you know, he's the protector and provider. And so that's a very important uh, role for him. You know, how can I protect my wife and child? And, yeah. it, it, you know, if we choose a home birth, you know, uh, am I going to be able to adequately protect them? And so it is a big, uh, a big concern for most dads. And, um, uh, you know, apologies to, you know, uh, any couples out there that, you know, have a different kind of relationship. I recognize that there are many kinds of relationships and, and, and uh, gender, you know, situations. So, again, just for the ease of the conversation, um, making that generalization. Right. Understood. Definitely variations of, of normal and families and expression, but yes, understood what you're saying. Um, you yeah. mentioned the differences between doula and midwife. Could you elaborate on right. that? And, and, you know, for those who are still kind of unclear, you know, we celebrate world doula week in spring. Um, so, uh, just so to, to create more awareness around those roles and why they're, um, important and powerful and unique. Absolutely, and, and, and the key differences. So uh, a doula is uh, an individual who is trained to support the laboring uh, mom um, at the hospital, usually. I mean, it can be at home, but usually uh, doulas are often hired to support moms who are planning to birth at the hospital. And so usually a doula is not someone who can monitor the ba- mom or baby um, they, they typically don't have, um, medical training of a sort that would allow them to make judgment, uh, calls, you know, for the care of a mom or baby. So they usually meet the mom at the hospital, support her through her labor, both physical support, emotional support, um, you know, also intellectual support. They, they, they do have training about, you know, the different, uh, interventions that may be talked about in the hospital so that they can, uh, help moms and dads decide or couples decide uh, whether, you know, the doctor comes in and says, you know, I think I should break your water, that they can have a conversation about whether uh, that's in their best interest and what the risk and benefits are and so forth. But they they don't give medical advice. They can't. Okay. A midwife is often starts her training as a doula, but then goes on. So in every state's a little different and, and, and every country might be a little bit different in terms of how midwives are trained and what kinds of midwives there are. But here in California, we have to um, attend a state of California medical board approved midwifery program. It has to be a minimum of a three-year program and additionally uh, apprentice with a senior midwife who has a certain level of experience. Um, and that apprenticeship is usually also about a three-year apprenticeship. So um, there's quite a bit of um, education and, and training uh, that that a student midwife has to go through. And then exams that have to be taken to prove you know, that that um, knowledge has been acquired um, before they can 
can actually have a license to practice as a midwife. And I encourage my students to continue, even after they have their license, to continue to work for a while um, under a senior midwife, um, just as they're, you know, kind of getting their feet under them as, as a new midwife. So it's a much higher level of training. And um, again, our license allows us to do really pretty much everything a doctor does with the exception of surgery. So, um, you know, surgery is needed and, or wanted, desired, it needs to happen in the hospital, of course. But um, otherwise, you know, I order labs, I order ultrasounds, I, um, you know, my prenatal visits typically last an hour. I want to make sure that my clients don't feel rushed through their appointment. I want to make sure that they have ample time and, and space to ask any questions uh, about anything that they may want to talk about. Uh, you know, we talk about labs and ultrasounds and different things and why they may want them, why they may not want them. A lot of education that takes place. We really believe in informed consent. And the only way... Uh, you can have informed consent is if you're truly informed with all the information and your options and the risk and benefits before you can give consent. So we spend a lot of time on education, taking mom's vitals and listening to the baby, measuring the baby's growth, checking baby's position, um, and, you know, typically seeing moms um, once a month in the early part of pregnancy, twice a month as pregnancy progresses, and then weekly at the end. Um, so we're spending a lot of time building relationship as well. Um, so as I said before, you know, I can administer medications, same medicine for postpartum hemorrhage that they have in the hospital. I, you know, sew moms up as they tear. I, you know, fully qualified to resuscitate a newborn, handle most any emergency that, you know, could take place um, and recognize them as they're developing before they do. So much higher level of training and experience and, and uh, care of them that can be given as a midwife. And did we even um, mention this yet that you've helped deliver a thousand plus babies? Has that even been said? Okay, we said that. Well, I'm going to say it again because I mean, a funny question, I guess. When do you, do you have a ticker at some point? Are you logging, especially as a new midwife, is a new midwife kind of notching, you know, birth after birth? And then do you just kind of lose count oh, after you reach a certain threshold? Absolutely. And then one of my students will periodically tabulate to see, you know, because I'll say more than a thousand for a long time. They're like, okay, I think it's time to see where you're at with that, you know, so that I can, you know, refine that. So now I'm approaching 1500. <laughs> nice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 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 In um, those 1500, um, mm -hmm. obviously, all across the board, all kinds of experience, all moms. I mean, you say directly on your website, no two moms or babies are the same. And one thing mm -hmm. that's come up with some of our listeners and our audience is some of those, I guess you could call it trickier circumstances where maybe um, the path to birth and labor isn't the most straightforward. And I'm talking about things like breached birth or multiples, mm -hmm. twins, and you've had mm -hmm. experience with that. Um, so I would love if I you have. could just share some insight with that, especially moms who might be worried about that. Or if one of those elements come to, comes into the picture for some moms, you know, sometimes it seems like home birth just gets swiped off the table immediately. Um, and maybe it does eventually after some conversation, but that doesn't mean it has to be just straight away from news of that information, correct? Yeah, I mean, the, honestly, breach is a variation of normal. And uh, even to some extent are twins. Um, higher level multiples 
do start to get a little bit riskier. Um, but that doesn't mean that even higher level multiples couldn't be born at home. Uh, I think it depends on the skill training experience of the midwife and her team. Uh, to some extent, it also depends on what the state laws are regarding that. So right. here in California, um, uh, we were able to deliver reaches and twins um, at home up until a couple of years ago when our licensure changed and we um, uh, had the physician supervision requirement removed from our licensure so that we're allowed to practice autonomously. They did uh, take away the ability for us to knowingly plan to deliver breaches or, or, or twins at home. Um, prior to that, I had, and now I, I, I can't plan that. So, um, you know, if I come in, the baby's coming out, and then lo and behold, it's breached, then sure, I'm, you know, can handle that situation. Fortunately, I have that experience, so it's not a problem, um, but I can't knowingly plan to do that now. Um, however, there are so many ways to turn a breach, um, and often very successfully. So um, with, you know, Brooke, that was something that we did attempt and I won't go into her story. That's her story to mm -hmm. tell. But um, I had another, um, I had a local acupuncturist who uh, referred a client to me whose baby was breech and uh, she didn't necessarily want to have a home birth, but she um, wanted to see if there was any words of magic, you know, maybe I had a magic wand I could wave at or something <laughs> to uh, help her get her baby turned because her, her baby hadn't been complying. And I suggested uh, a version, an external version. And uh, she was like, oh, no, that just seems too scary. That's not an option for me. And I just went on to talk to her. I was like, well, sometimes babies just need a little bit of help. Your baby might just need a little bit of help. He might be stuck and just need a little nudge to help him, you know, uh, get unstuck and get into the position that you want him to be in and maybe he wants to be in. And uh, so after some conversation, she did decide to go ahead and have her doctor do an external version. And lo and behold, they were successful. And so she got to have her vaginal delivery at the hospital, which was what she wanted. So... Um, can you explain what that is, yeah, there, by the way, the external version? Yeah, yeah. So it's where um, a trained professional um, can actually put uh, their hands on the mother's abdomen um, and uh, physically turn the baby. Um, I like to do that um, with ultrasound just so that you can see how the baby's reacting and, and see if there's, you know, any obstacles in the way and, and, you know, kind of monitor the baby uh, during the process. Um, so, yeah. And doctors uh, will do that in the hospital. Some doctors are, are trained to do that and have a good success rate. I've seen doctors who really don't try. They're kind of, they, 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 they really would much rather just go ahead and do the cesarean. And that's unfortunate. But I think if someone's um, baby were in a breech position, I think it would definitely be something worth trying before just going ahead and signing up for a cesarean. Um, and in California, there are still some doctors who will deliver babies breech in the hospital as well. Mm. And is it uncomfortable at all for the mom? I know that's one, you know, thinking of a kind of manual maneuvering of baby in there, full-term baby, you know, mm -hmm. in, in some cases I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I 
it can be a little uncomfortable. Uh-huh. It shouldn't be terribly painful. Right. Um, in the hospital, they actually administer some medication to relax the mom and relax the uterus. Um, because certainly when you start manipulating a, you know, a uterus, uh, you can oftentimes cause it to contract and it's a little harder to turn a baby when you have a uterus that's in a contraction. But, um, so if I were doing that at home, I'm, I'm very gentle. I, I, I'm not going to try hard. I'm not going to be aggressive. Um, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, kind of giving that gentle nudge. And uh, if that's successful, yay. And if it's not, then um, I do recommend that we go to the hospital and have a doctor do it and administer the drugs because then they can be much more aggressive um, with the maneuver. Yeah. Got it. Wow. And so in in your experience before the licensure changes um, around breech birth, what mm-hmm. if, if baby hasn't changed, the baby is still in breech position, what are some things that you approach that type of birth differently? Or is there anything different really um, in terms of um, the the end of the laboring process and delivery itself? Well, if, if a baby in a breech position, uh, we're going to be delivered vaginally, home, hospital, whatever. Um, there are some uh, important things to know. And so you definitely would want to have an experienced professional present, you know, either a midwife with experience or, or a physician with experience. Um, but yeah, there, there are a few things that it's important to know. You have to make sure mom is fully dilated. You definitely don't want her to you know, uh, start delivering a breech baby with a cervix that isn't fully dilated because you, 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 you can deliver oftentimes, you know, up to the head without a cervix being fully dilated, but then, you know, the head has to then wait for the um, dilation to be complete. Right. And that can take some time and that's, that's where you can run into some problems uh-huh. and how the baby is presenting uh, as well. And it gets a little bit technical, but, um, a sunny side up or posterior baby, uh, when the head is presenting, uh, isn't an issue. I mean, those babies can be born. We had a couple born like that just recently, good sized ones too. But um, a breech baby, you don't want uh, facing facing up. You definitely want them facing back towards the mother's spine. So having that knowledge, that information, that that experience, you know, it can be a very safe birth. Mm. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't have to be a higher risk situation uh, under the hands of someone who knows what they're doing. I appreciate that final statement that you just said, just to hear that it can be a very safe variation of normal, like you mentioned earlier, with the proper care, with someone who's trained and with the proper space and mentality, I would imagine, too, going into it um, with mm-hmm. a, a positive Absolutely. mindset and a belief in the body's ability to, to do what it does and, you know, belief and trust in baby and his or her process. So just to hear that, I think is I appreciate that as a mom who, you know, hasn't experienced that or, you know, who knows with our our future children or anyone listening who, you know, baby might be in breach right now and they're working on the process to getting baby to move. Just to hear that, I feel like is a, like it's a little sigh of relief and comfort uh, just Mm -hmm. to hear a professional, a 1500 babies plus in the books say say that. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. Yeah, and I and I want to share. I want to be totally transparent. Like we've been doing this show for almost two years, and I've heard of breach. I always thought, and I'm sure there's dads and partners, maybe moms out there, 
who had the same belief. I'm thinking feet first. Like that's literally what I was mm-hmm. thinking with, with breach. And so, well, no, no. So I, I just looked up the position to see that there's many different positions of a breach birth. And so I just, I right. really appreciate the, the constant education and, you know, oh, so welcome. Yeah. And I think it's a great example of not making assumptions because making assumptions mm-hmm. about what something means or, or, you know, what, what, uh, what's going to happen, it can lead you down the path of creating fears and creating barriers and, and blocks and all sorts of things in your mind. So, you know, just like what I was doing, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm sitting here hearing you describe the, the breach birth, Paula, and I pull up on my phone, like, what are the different breach positions? And I'm like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. my, my thoughts of what a breach birth were, were not fully accurate. So I just, I like having these conversations and uh, just, just the constant education. And with that comes, at least for me, a sense of calm, you know, a sense of, of a little bit more peace and just a, a truly greater confidence in, in midwives and what you all do and what you're capable of. So I'm very grateful. And uh, yeah, I get to walk away from this conversation with a few new nuggets of information. Oh, how wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And something else I wanted to address that I often hear from dads or the partner who's not the one giving birth is what about the mass? Or I even actually had a pregnant mom say something to me yesterday. She's like, well, I'm just, you know, don't, don't want my house to get all messy. And (laughs) we keep, we keep the space clean. We have everything we need to keep the space neat and clean. And you know, after the birth, we start a load of laundry, we gather the waste together. If there's dirty dishes in the sink, we'll even wash those up. But we want uh, we we want the new parents to be able to relax and enjoy their baby without worrying about, you know, a messy home. So we often leave it cleaner than it was when we got there because we um, feel like it's so important for them to, for, for the parents to just relax and not worry about things. You know, we... Um, we we stay with the couple for a number of hours after the birth, making sure that mom and baby are both stable, assessing blood loss, facilitating breastfeeding, and cleaning everything up. And um, I go back again the next day, checking in on mom and baby, uh, assessing the blood loss, checking for jaundice, asking uh, and answering any questions about breastfeeding and supporting with that. And uh, doing something called a newborn screen, assuming the couple wants that, that's something that uh, is done to uh, help ensure baby's health um, after the birth. And I come back a couple of days later again, checking in on them and being available as a resource. And my my clients have my number. They call me 24-7. I don't have a pager. I don't have an answering service. They call me. They get me. Three o'clock in the morning, and they're worried that, gosh, you know, uh, baby's really fussy. Is everything okay? You know, call me. Let me hopefully reassure you um, and, um, you know, ensure that everyone's doing well. I love that. I love that. And to just speak on the the mess part real quick. So for, for this conversation, we moved from our office, which is where we normally do our recordings. And right now we're hanging out in our bedroom. And this is the bedroom that Sarah delivered Maya in. So... I'm looking down at the carpet, and this is the same exact carpet that was in the bedroom a year and a half ago, and the only stain I see on the carpet is from a smoothie that I spilled about two weeks ago. So, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the whole idea of the mess, we've actually addressed it in one of our episodes, haven't we, Sarah? 
Yes, we have. Yeah, so we talked about mm -hmm. it because that was questions that we got as well, um, particularly when we talked to friends and family about our home birth choice. And, you know, like you said, it's all taken care of. There, there isn't a, a big mess that's left. And uh, it'll probably, the messiest part will probably be from you, the parents, spilling stuff and just <laughs> going about your daily lives. That'll create more mess than anything that happens during the birth. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's always a big question, interestingly. So I, I always love to, to touch on it. And then water birth. Would you have any interest in me talking a little bit about water birth? Sure, absolutely. Because I think that's a thing some women are not sure how they feel about. Or it's funny when women feel like they will be one way about it and then birth arrives and it's quite the opposite. Either way, they love it when they thought they would hate it or they hate it when they thought they wanted it. So yeah, I know, I know that's a very common thing that people bring up around, you know, particularly home birth because mm -hmm. you, you have more of an option there. Um, I know the options have been opened up in more of birthing centers and hospitals recently, but not always. So yeah, what mm -hmm. what insight can you share there? Well, so I would say um, I, I, I rent birth tubs. I have a couple of different kinds, and the vast majority of my clients do choose to rent one. Uh, they, um, you know, like to have it as a labor tool, uh, whether or not they birth in it. Uh, many of them do birth in the tub, um, but whether they do or not, they, they like having that uh, as a labor tool because when things are starting to get intense, mom can get in and uh, being able to submerge her belly in the water it really relieves the pressure and helps her relax and makes things, you know, feel very doable again. So we call it the natural epidural. <laughs> right. And we don't leave babies under the water. So I do believe that babies need to breathe. And so, you know, as soon as they're born, we bring them up to the surface so that they can breathe. Um, but then sometimes moms will just kind of hang out in the tub with their babies and float them for a little bit. And it's just such a serene experience for the mother and the baby. Just really, I think, um, does help relieve a lot of pressure and, and, uh, helps everyone feel relaxed. There's something really nice about the water. And um, thus far, I haven't had a single person tell me anything other than how much they love their tub. Oh, great. <laughs> great. That's awesome. And tip there, I guess, is to uh, fill, it, blow it up, fill it up, test it ahead of time, and then also do it with enough time in labor, right? Because I know that we've had a few moms on the show. It kind of got to a point where, nope, it's too late for the tub. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I'm i working with my clients, you know, around all of that. They call me when they think labor has started and, you know, I'm talking with them kind of as things are building and deciding with them, you know, when I should be there. And also, you know, if they have a tub, kind of instructing uh, the partner, you know, as to when the appropriate time to start getting the tub set up is. And, um, you know, we typically arrive early enough that if that hasn't already occurred, we can facilitate that too. So it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it would be a very rare situation that one of my clients didn't get to enjoy their tub. Um, it has happened, but it's, it's pretty rare. They, they usually, usually have it available for them when they are ready for it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Last question I have for you is how you have navigated and balanced midwifery practice with five children of your own. I'm sure that's Gotta be interesting. <laughs> yeah. It takes a village. Yes, yes. <laughs> it takes a village. Fortunately, there 
you know, older now and it's not so, uh, so hard as it once was, but yeah, you know, for sure. You know, I, I think a supportive partner, you know, a midwife who has children, having a supportive partner can make a, uh, a huge difference. Um, you know, having close family or friends that you can rely on. Um, yeah, it, uh, it, it has been challenging through the years. There've been times where, you know, sometimes in a moment, you know, things would be, my my support, you know, for for the children would be looking like it was falling apart, and then, you know, lo and behold, some miracle of chance, someone would, you know, come to my rescue. So, it 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 always worked out, but it it is challenging for yeah. sure. And like I said, now that they're older, not so much. You know, they're driving and self sufficient, can feed themselves and get themselves to school. So that helps tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. Wow, and you have. 1500 plus humans out there around this world now that you have welcomed into the world. That is pretty incredible to think about. It is pretty incredible. And it's a small city. (laughs) I don't think it's quite 1500 yet, but it's more than a thousand and approaching 1500. Um, I I need to have one of the students add up the more recent numbers so that we can get an accurate tally on that. Yes. uh, Okay. We'll get that for me and we'll include it when we publish this episode. (laughs) It is pretty wonderful. Like I, you know, I'm getting to a point where I'm expecting that some of those first ones are going to be, you know, reaching out to me to help me, for me to help them have, you know, their first children. So uh, that's going to be exciting. Multi-generational midwife. (laughs) Yeah. That's so fabulous. Paula Schneebel, thank you so much for hanging out with us on the Doing It at Home podcast. We really appreciate you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure and a delight. And I appreciate the opportunity to, um, provide information and help educate people about what midwifery care is. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.